song that's gone for a couple of weeks now and the words are still uh, so incredibly powerful i am blessed i am called i am healed i am whole i am saved in Jesus' name, I'm highly favoured, I'm anointed, I'm filled with the power of God. Why? Why am I all those things? Well, for the glory of Jesus' name. They're great words to sing, to sing over ourselves, particularly in this series. We're talking about being called for a purpose. And this message is part of a series, and this series is part of a trilogy of messages, which we've just entitled uh, Called for a Purpose, and, and, and the trilogy of messages we've, we've been doing since September, and you can go back through our podcasts and, and listen to those messages, where we've just been unpacking the vision for the church, and we, we base our vision on three statements, which we try and say as often as possible, and that is, that is we exist uh, to revive hearts, to restore hope, and to rebuild lives. What we exist to do as a church is to help you discover who you are in God. We want you to discover who God is. We want him to, we want to allow God to revive your heart, give you an opportunity to, to discover God, to encounter God, and then to allow God to release you, to free you from anything in your past, anything in your present that would stop you from being the person God has called and planned and, and designed you to be. And then you would discover your purpose. You would rebuild your life based on that purpose so you could go out and make a difference in the lives of others so we all have a purpose we all have a calling and, and often we we ask you know what's next what am i here for what's the meaning of life and our key verse for the last couple of weeks has come from proverbs 29 and the message version uh, verse 18 says if if people can't see what god is doing they stumble over themselves but when they attend to what he reveals they are most blessed when we attend to what god reveals to us we are most blessed we're contented life makes sense we discover why we're here and we know we're living our best life and in this series we want to help you discover that purpose discover that calling discover that divine plan that divine purpose that god put inside you and that's why we've called this series called um, it says in Ephesians 2 that we are God's masterpiece, that we were created to do good things that he planned for us long ago. There was a plan in advance before we were even born that God had for us to go and do things. But we've also called this series called because we're looking at the lives of people in the Bible who've had their names change. Where, where God has said to people, you were called this, but now you'll be called this. And there's a purpose attached there. Their calling is linked to what they're called. And we've looked at the story of Abram and then Abraham. We've looked at Jacob who became Isaac. Uh, we looked at Esther or Hadassah who then became Esther. And I want to look today at another, the name of another person in the Bible who had their name changed. But in this story, their, their name wasn't the name actually we know them by. And it wasn't a name that God gave them. It was a name that was changed uh, by a Babylonian king. So if you've got a Bible near you, I'd love you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is, is found towards the end of the Old Testament. 
And we meet Daniel, we encounter Daniel at the start of a, a period of history known as the Babylonian exile, where, where King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, swooped down into Israel, conquered it, and took everyone, took all the Israelites, rounded them up and carted them off to Babylon to go and live in exile as his slaves. So we're going to pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1 and from verse 3. So Daniel is already in Babylon. It says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then would enter royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. And so what we've got, we've got these four friends who are part of a larger group. Now these are a group of men who were selected. They weren't randomly chosen, but they were selected because of their qualities. They were strong, they were healthy, they were good looking. Sounds a lot like me. Uh, they were well versed in every branch of learning. And... They were knowledgeable. They had good judgment. They were capable of serving the king. So they stood out straight away. Daniel and his friends stood out. And we know the famous stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But what we forget sometimes is those weren't their names. They were not their original names. And with the exception of Daniel, we, we remember these men by their Babylonian names. And what happened was they had their names changed to suit the culture that they found themselves in. And to change someone's name in that culture, it was a sign of ownership. It was a sign of dominance. By, by being renamed by your captors, you were being forcibly uh, integrated into the culture that you found yourself. And if you notice in the text, it's one of the first things that happens. As soon as they get to Babylon, their names are changed. And it's not about just changing their names. It's about removing their identities. It's about changing who they are. And I want to spend a moment with you just looking through these names, looking at the original Hebrew names and looking at the Babylonian names and, and just compare them for a few moments. And I'm just going to put a slide on the screen which just uh, brings out those names. So what we have, first of all, is Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge and his name is changed to Belteshazzar, which in Babylonian means lady protect the king. So suddenly the gender in Daniel's name has been changed, something that was an inherent part of his identity. Uh, and the focus of his name has shifted from God to man, or in this case, actually woman. You know, Daniel has been changed from a man who is accountable to an all-powerful God to a woman who is charged with protecting her king. 
Then we have Hananiah, uh, which means Yahweh has been gracious. And he is changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. You know, in this name, Hananiah, God is good. God is gracious. But actually Shadrach, God is bad. God is frightening. God is, is terrifying. I am fearful of God. And again, the focus goes from God to man. Mishael means no one can compare to God. But Meshach means I'm despised. I'm humiliated. He's gone from nothing can compare to my God. I stand in a place of confidence knowing who my God is to actually I stand in a place of cowardice. I am despised. I am humiliated. And again, the focus shifts from God to man. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. God has helped me. God will help me. Again, there's a confidence there. There's a, there's a, there's a sense of, of place. I am a son of God who, who will help me no matter what. And he gets his name changed to Abednego, which means I am a servant of Nebo, an ancient Babylonian king. I've gone from a son of God to a slave of man. So you can see these weren't just name changes. These friends were having their whole identities ripped apart and rewritten. Identities that, that spoke of the goodness of God have actually been replaced by identities who, that, that reject who God is. And you know the world's culture would love to change your identity. It would love to try and tell you who you are. It would love to try and shape your identity to fit its ideals. And you know, when everything around us seems to be shifting, actually, we need to remember who we are. When everything around us seems to move and, and be quite fluid, we need to remember who we are. Jeremiah 1 says that before I formed you, before I formed you, I made you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. You know, you are who God made you to be. You have a unique purpose for your life that no one else has ever had or will ever have. And, and it's that purpose that over these next few weeks, we're trying to help you discover. And all through this series, we've been talking about people who had names changed and it brought a new sense of purpose. But the reality is it wasn't a new sense of purpose. It was the purpose they always had. They just hadn't stepped into it yet. And, and it was when they gave up trying to control their own lives, when they stopped being in control of, of, of their lives, that actually they discovered the fulfillment of who they'd been born to be. I don't believe God looks at you and sees you on where sees you and looks at you based on where you are now. I think God always looks at us based on what we could become and based on where he wants to take us. He sees what you can become. He sees the possibilities. God also knows the realities, but he knows the possibilities. He knows what you're capable of and he sees a greatness in you that you may never, ever see in yourself. And I, I believe that when we give God control of our lives, he gives us back our name. He gives us back our purpose and our calling. And what we see through the story of Daniel is these men live out their names. When Daniel is accused of treason and, he, and he's sent for execution in the lion's den, God, as his judge, as the ultimate authority, declares Daniel innocent and he closes the mouths of the lions. God has the final say. God is the ultimate judge. 
when Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah are thrown into the furnace. God is gracious. God is good to them and they walk out of the fire without even a singe. Why were they thrown down into the fire? Because they wouldn't bow down to a statue. They would not allow God to be compared to anyone. They lived out their names. They lived out the calling on their names. They made a decision not to live up to the culture that was being forced upon them, but they lived up to the name and the, the standard that God had gave them. See, when they handed over control to God, God gave them back their names. And if we continue through the story of Daniel, you can go ahead and read this uh, today or through the week. We read that the king assigns these men and it says this. He assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And some translations say that it was from his own table. Now, you might say that's great, you know, food from the king's own table. But when we look at the culture of Babylon and we compare it with the culture of Israel, there would have been foods there that these Jewish boys would not allow to eat. There was food that was unclean to them, but also food that would have been offered to idols uh, before being served to them. And so what we see here is the king and the culture is not only trying to rename them, but it's also trying to tame them, trying to make them like what they like and eat what they eat. And Daniel says no. The Bible says he was determined not to defile himself. And he, and he does this really interesting thing. He doesn't go on the offensive. He doesn't start criticising what they're eating. But he just says, Do you know, test me. Test me on this. There are things that Daniel knew God had told him and his people not to do. And, and you know, more and more as Christians, we need to stand up and say, actually, I'm not going to eat what you're eating. I'm not going to eat the food that the world is serving me, but I'm going to feed myself on what God says. You know, Jesus once said, I am the bread of life and we find our nourishment and our strength through him. Someone once said that God's word is food for our soul. And do you know the world would love to feed us junk? The world would love to feed us junk food, but, but God always wants to feed us what is good and good for us and this is why Daniel refuses to eat their food but again Daniel doesn't go on the offensive he doesn't fight authority he just says test me I'm not going to stop you eating that food but just test me against everyone else and see who comes out better can I suggest that even though Daniel would have disagreed with what was being placed before him he still loved he still demonstrated love, even to the king's chief of staff. Now, Ashpenaz, who was the king's chief of staff, it says that he was afraid when he heard this. When Daniel said, please don't make me eat this, the king of Ashpenaz, the king of the chief's staff was afraid because he was in charge of the men. He was in charge of them. And if they got sick, if they were unhealthy, if they couldn't work, it's his life on the line. But Daniel loved him. Daniel cared for him that he makes this deal. Listen, 10 days, just test me for 10 days and compare me to everyone else. Don't make them like me, but don't make me like them. And let's just see what the difference is. And Ashpenaz, this, this king's chief of staff, he agrees. Now he's still taking a risk. 
but he goes for it. And, and after 10 days, he can see that not only are they fit and healthy, but they're actually healthier than everyone else. Daniel had this incredible ability to love well, but stand firm. And his actions paid off as you continue through the rest of chapter one. God rewards him for his obedience. And we read later on in Daniel, that the king elevates Daniel to the third highest position in the whole kingdom. You couldn't get any higher in that kingdom because the two highest positions were the king and the king's son. So Daniel was, was third in the whole kingdom because he stood firm and he loved well. There's a great story um, in 1980s New York. I've never been to New York. I would love to go. But there was a, there's a story that comes from the 80s where the, the, the mayor of New York got so exasperated by graffiti on the underground that he made a pledge that he would rid the whole underground subway network of graffiti. And, and as you can imagine, they would have had hundreds of trains covered in graffiti. So at this point, they had a choice. They could put police on every platform, in every station, in every siding and outside every shed. And they could, they could guard their trains with a show of force. Or they could do something else. And this is what they did. They made a decision that every night, every train would get cleaned. Every train would have its graffiti washed off. And if they couldn't clean the train, if they couldn't get the graffiti off, the train was scrapped. The casing was replaced um, and they did this every night, not for a month, not for a year, but for five years, every night cleaning trains. And do you know what happened? The graffiti stopped. The graffiti artists gave up. See, rather than cave into the culture of the time, they stood up for a culture of excellence. They stood up for what they believed in. And even to this day, I believe that if any graffiti is seen on a New York train, by the end of the day, it's gone. And do you know that took time? That took perseverance. It took effort and it probably cost a lot of money. But they decided that standing up for, for what they believed in, standing for their culture, standing for excellence, it was worth it. And they didn't demonstrate a show of force because the mayor loved his people. The mayor loved New York. He didn't go on the offensive. He didn't flex his muscles. He stood firm. He said, hey, we're not going to stop you graffitiing our trains. You want to graffiti our trains? Go ahead. But know this, that graffiti will be gone by the morning because we're standing for our culture. We love you, but we're standing firm. And in the end, the graffiti stopped because they stood firm. You know, Daniel never in the passage had to eat what the rest of the people were eating because he stood firm. And you know, if we're gonna be people who are called to stand up for culture, to stand up for what's right, to stand up for what the Bible says about certain situations, then we need help. Uh, if we wanna be the kind of people that, that love well, but stand firm, who, who engage with the people around us. Someone once said we should engage with the people around us as if we're a breath of fresh air. If we want to do that, if we wanna be people who keep their standards high, but they grace deep, then we need God to help us. But the great thing is the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ 
who gives me strength. When we're faced with tough times or difficult decisions, we can rely on God to give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom, the patience, the perseverance and, and everything else we need to make that stand. When you get to the end of Daniel chapter 1, it says this, that God gave these four young men an unusual attitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings and visions of dreams. Now, they weren't things or qualities they had before. They were, they were gifts that God gave them. And I believe that when they committed themselves to God, God gave them what they needed. And for us, when we commit ourselves to God, I believe God will give us what we need in that situation. And I want to ask the question, what is it in your workplace or your sphere of influence that you need to stand up for? What is it you're witnessing or hearing that you know the Bible says, do you know, that's not right? And it might be uh, an issue at work. It might be in a relationship. What is it that you need to stand firm on, but also love well, what do you need to keep your standards high on, but keep your grace deep? You know, culture changes, but God doesn't. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And from the beginning of time, God's had one purpose. He's had one purpose and that is bring people back into relationship with him to revive our hearts, to restore our hope and to rebuild our lives. God calls us to him and he calls us to him for a purpose. We all have an individual purpose. You may know what yours is, you may not yet and you may be on a journey to discovering that but we do have a purpose that is unique to all of us. But actually the Bible says there's one calling, there's one purpose that we all have that is given to all of us. And the book of Micah says this, the Lord has told you what is required of you. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do you know, if we could just do that, if we can walk in step with God and, and his word and live lives of mercy and live lives of justice, then we can transform communities we can transform cities and we can transform nations you know daniel was a prisoner of war carted off to a foreign land he was a teenager enslaved by people into a custom and a value system that was almost the exact opposite of his own but Daniel still found a way to be the person God had created and called him to be. Someone who stood firm and loved well, but spoke the truth to a nation. Do you know, in fact, Daniel's so influential that he's still a key player in the king's courts when King Cyrus decides to send all the Israelites back to Jerusalem. You know, that took 70 years, 70 years of standing firm, but loving well. But it meant his people eventually went free. Can I encourage you that, that God's given you a purpose? And, and the Bible says you have a glorious hope. And it's a hope that we can offer others. You know, we should make the most of every opportunity God has given us. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You know, God has strategically placed us as Christians, as followers 
of Jesus. He's placed us, as we said last week, for such a time as this, with the exact gifts, the exact skills that we need to, to play out our purpose, to play out our part and make a difference in our communities and our places. You know, whether you're uh, watching or listening to this today, wherever you're watching or listening from, can I just tell you again that God created you for a purpose, but he created you on purpose. You're not an accident. You're not what people have called you or what they've tried to call you or even what they've tried to name you. You know, you're what God calls you and you're called for a purpose. And we want to give you an opportunity for God to reveal that to you today. If you're watching this and you feel like you're far from God and, and you feel in your heart, you just need to take that first step, a step to recovering that redemptive calling. Then we're going to pray and we'd love to invite you to pray this prayer with me wherever you are to ask God to reveal himself to you and to surrender control over to him. You know, the story of Daniel, just to summarise, teaches me two things. That when we hand over control to God, he reveals our calling. And when we commit ourselves to God, he gives us what we need to carry out that calling. So we're going to pray. And if you would love to join us wherever you are, just pray this prayer along with me. So Jesus, I need you. Please forgive my sin. Cleanse my past. Make me brand new. I believe you're the Son of God. Today, I put my faith in you. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life to the full. So today, I give you control of my life so that I can live the full, blessed, purposeful life you have for me. Help me to love well and stand firm, knowing I can do all things because you give me strength.